Welcome, everyone, to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I'm Timothy Harvey. And back there, we have a new addition to Robot Row. I mentioned that uh, today during Live from the Bunker. Uh, last week, I had a conversation with Flint Dilly, who is the grandson of John Dilly, the newspaper publisher who created the, the comic strip Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, based on the book by Philip Francis Nolan. And I had realized that we don't have any, because we got Robot Row back there, I didn't have Tweaky. And so Tweaky showed up today. Little thing from uh, Mrs. Boss to add to the add to the robot row there. So we have this light up TWKE4. Does it make a noise? No, it does not make a noise. Does not make a noise. Various Ball options. Do <laughs> what? Oh, <Ball> blessing. <laughs> well, you know, it does change colors. Well, that's all right. So then. there's something there, and it's much bigger. You know, it's taller than all of the other robots that are sitting there. So you know, that's something which is Not really scale, kind of ironic. Exactly right. So there we are. That's the thing. So anyway, we I are have no new toys. Yeah, you know, we are live on both YouTube and Facebook, and hopefully, uh, we've got our settings such that I'm not going to get red lights and warnings tonight. I don't know. I get, it's just, I, I, every time I turn around, it's something else that, that causes hey, the right stream to pick up be, and, I don't know. Right now it could just be the cold. I mean, the, everything is, Kansas City, there's a, you know, they're, we're in recording in separate places tonight because, quite frankly, the roads in Kansas City are pretty terrible right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's very cold here. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not local to Kansas City, um, it's cold. <laughs> it's very cold. <laughs> um, and it's actually uh, we're in the middle, the beginning, really, of a of a what ten days? I think I'm talking Some, about this. Yeah, kind of something like that. Yeah. So, um, for you, for you folks who might be tuning in from the northern parts of the country, I realize you're sitting there going, "And my family's from Iowa, so yeah. northern Iowa. We're we're very familiar with deep, deep, deep snow and very cold temperatures. But Kansas City doesn't usually get hit quite this hard for so long in terms of temperatures like this. No, not like not like this. And really it it kind of surprises me because I saw uh when when I looked at the the um uh the the um uh, weather forecast almanac. Ah, the almanac. Uh sorry, I just my my brain just kind of went Jason, have you had enough coffee today? I have not had enough coffee today. Speaking you of which, know, we uh, are we are drinking. I'm drinking Invader coffee. That's not a not an endorsement. I'm just saying, bought a bought a pack of it. It's pretty good. Um, the almanac that I bought, uh, because we're gonna we're talking about starting a, a little garden in the back, and uh, so I bought this uh, farmer's almanac. And it said we were going to have a fairly mild winter. And this week is not. 
So, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, the, this is the cast your mind back kind of thing, mm-hmm. which, you know, we never do here. <laughs> uh, but when I was younger, winters were earlier. Yeah. Or they started earlier. I mean, they, they, you, they, you, could, you could get snow in like, you know, October. Uh, and the, well, I'm not saying they were all white Christmases when I was a kid. Mm. No. But there was certainly, and, and it's just, you know, things change over time. And, uh, well, and we've had, so, we've had some because we've had some years where we've gotten snow in October and then it, oh, sure. and you know, we'll get one somewhere about mid October and then we don't get anything else until like the end of, in the end right. of November, early December. So, you know, that, that's one of those things where like, oh, okay, snow. I hate snow anyway. So I, I, I'm perfectly fine if you go the entire winter. Without snow, I uh, I'm okay with snow now that I don't drive for a living. Yeah, Mazers, welcome to the chat. He says uh, they weren't, uh, I guess, mild winters in Texas. Now I've been in Minnesota for twelve years. I've had plenty of white Christmases now. Robert says I remember more white Halloweens than white Christmases. Well, Robert would. Robert and I grew up in the same town, so. Well, in I re, in in Texas, well, in the Dallas area, it, you it, it you'd get snow some, but mostly in that area it was ice. Mm-hmm. You'd have the freezing rain, and it would glaze over, and then everything was just slicker than anything. And it's yeah, the the nasty sleet. And it, I remember one year I was working for a courier company and we had the contract for the the blood donation center, mm-hmm. which supplied all of the hospitals and medical centers around with, you know, platelets and blood and, blood and plasma and whatnot. And I was the closest one to the main center. So I was on call a lot. Sure. And yeah. I remember one particular time I had to go from I had I had to go from my house to the center and then all the way across Dallas to Mesquite, which is on the far east side of the Dallas Metroplex. Mm-hmm. And this is back before we had cell phones. We had pagers, but we didn't have cell phones. And there was ice everywhere and my my dad my dad's like you're not driving in this i'll take you <laughs> i was like come on dad i i can I'm, i'll be i'll be fine but it took forever because the ice was just everywhere and it was oh, yeah. it when, was terrible when i was doing of course the medical courier the pathology courier job weather like this you still work in because quite frankly Pathology goes on. Yeah, uh, tests still have to be run, and certainly at a time like now, where you know I, I feel really very a great deal of sympathy for the folks I still know who are in the industry because you know we're in medical periods like we're in when you got a pandemic going on, and then no matter what, that's on top of that. So yeah. you know you're there. I have great sympathy for them. Uh, years ago, when I was doing the pizza delivery thing, we had a day 
like this with more snow than we got today, but definitely brutally cold, really, really bad. My boss and I both went into work and the area manager happened to make it by and he was like, so how are the roads? I said, pretty terrible. <laughs> and he's like, so what do you want to do? I said, well, let me make this run and I'll come back and I'll let you know. And 45 minutes later, after I'd basically driven a mile, a uh, round trip mile, um, I walked in the door. I said, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Carry out only. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's crazy when, when you have, and it's like Mazur says, you know, in, in, in various different parts of the country, you'll mm. have people that react differently to the weather. Whether it's oh, snow, yeah. snow on the ground, ice on the ground, sleet, whatever, and I don't know what it is, but how many times do we have people who just do not know how to drive in this stuff? Okay, but Kansas City has had a long-running history of not understanding how to deal with water from the sky. Doesn't have to be frozen water from the sky. That's true. Just water from the sky. That's true. Can't, I, 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 this is this is the town I, I've lived in. This town, almost as long as I've lived anywhere else in my life. And as much as I like this place, I do not understand how the vast majority of the drivers in Kansas City do not comprehend something that, folks. I know this is going to come as a surprise. But we've had rain before. <laughs> we've had snow before. I promise you it's true. But you know, when we when I was a kid and we were driving up to Iowa, where they have, you know, northern Iowa has real snow. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad's grip on the steering wheel from about just south of Olathe to about twenty minutes north of here yeah. was just it did, you know, and when my dad gets really, really tense, he'll have a little twitch in his neck. And you can just see it where he's just like, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then I moved here on purpose. Uh, <laughs> and it's true, it never went away. But when we were, when we would go to Iowa, there's a hill, my grandparents' farm, the old farmhouse was down by the farm, which was at the bottom of a hill. But the new house, I say new house, they built it, mm -hmm. you know, 40 plus years ago, right. uh, it was at the top of the hill. And as kids, we would sled down the hill Sure. Um, with that bit of knowledge in the back of our mind, knowing there were places where possibly the sled would just go whoop, <laughs> and you'd disappear underneath the snow and they'd find you in the spring. <laughs> You know, it's like, didn't we used to have kids? Yeah. <laughs> Weren't well, there three children here a minute ago? Yeah. Mindy and Mazer is both talking about floods in the in the chat. True story. 1978. My dad took a different job uh, with a different Caterpillar dealership. He he'd worked with he'd worked with Caterpillar dealerships all all his life. And he got an offer in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so we're moving to Little Rock. And I thought, this is not going to end well. And I told him. And and I continue to remind him that I told him 
that this will end in tears. And he, you know, well, well we're, we're going. We get to Little Rock. And the winter of 1978, one of the worst snowstorms in history of Little Rock. I think we were snowed in a week, a week and a half, something like that. And this is after Dad threw his back out and was on the couch most of the time. And then in the spring of 1979, we had one of the worst floods in the history of Little Rock. And we made it nine months in Little Rock and said, that's it, we're going home. And we moved back to Texas. So, uh, yeah, I, I was in uh, Manhattan, Kansas in 1993 when the flood hit there. Oh, right. And, it, and they've, Manhattan, Kansas is still dealing with flood issues. Uh, they had flood issues in the last few years, too. Um, there's a unfortunate tendency there there for for flooding but in 93 uh it basically shut down a significant chunk of the town and luckily it was it was fairly warm out but we uh we waded through hip deep water or knee deep water depending on where you were mm -hmm. um over by the university down to aggieville and to the about the only place you could go where, unless you just wanted to sit in the dark at home, uh, a few of the bars down in Aggieville, of course, big bar area for you know, right. uh, college town, uh, were open. And they were, you know, you're lit by candles and they were like, okay, well, the taps still work. And, you know, the, <laughs> the industrial refrigerators, so they're going to keep cold for a while. So, you know, of course, going home, because you were walking home. Sure. <laughs> it's like, you might, you know, I don't know if you want to drink too much uh, on a night like that. Because, you know. Yeah. Swimming, swimming while intoxicated is no fun. No, I'm sure. Uh, and, and Mazers, uh, Mindy, Mindy mentions here in the, in the chat that her mother was in Little Rock at the same time that I was. Um, I was eight. So I'm not the same age as, as Minnie's mother. Let's make that clear. Um, so, uh, and and much to my chagrin, Mindy had not been born yet. But she was on her way. So, anyway, all right. Let us, shall we talk about our topic uh, tonight? Because, you know, we could talk about weather. I mean, we do weather on Saturday mornings right, when we, we do, do. Uh, we do the, we do the forecast for convention cities on good morning multiverse. So I'll get that mm -hmm. plug in. <sighs> Last. Oh, Mazur says 2015. I went home. There was actually an unprecedented amount of flooding in DFW loop 12 under the I 30 bridge was actually underwater. I know that place. I've been on Loop 12 many a time. So, all right. So our topic for this evening 
Mr. Harvey, you want to you wanna roll us into that? Well, sure. So unfortunately, this last week, we lost two really, I mean, just incredibly storied careers of, of two very, very fine actors. Um, Christopher Plummer and Hal Holbrook both passed away in the last week. Yep. And both of them with having the kind of the careers that they've had they've had lots of opportunity to work in on the stage both of them are were incredibly acclaimed stage actors um they were in films that you know uh, you look at some of the films that they've they've built up in their career these are some of the iconic films of cinema and i mean however you feel about uh you know certain films involving singing in the alps um <laughs> You know, it was incredibly impactful film, and yeah. and Christopher Plummer had his own issues with the sound of music, but the they were also um, like many many actors, and and to some degree, both of them, while they played iconic roles, worked a lot like character actors. They worked a lot. Mm -hmm. They worked on a lot of things, small roles, big roles. You know, they they were the kind of actors. They're kind of like, you know, I mean, you, you you joke about people like Michael Caine who will take any part that right. seems to be offered to him. And there's a reason for that. He grew up very poor. And he's more than once said the reason he takes every role is he's afraid they're not going to offer him one after it. Oh, sure. No, yeah. I can totally understand that. And, uh, you know, to, but these guys were, were hardworking actors. They did a surprising amount of genre work, or maybe not necessarily a surprising amount when you consider the length of their careers. Yeah. And the fact that, they were, they always liked to work. And of course, you know, if you're looking for good parts, you'll find them in genre like you will find them anywhere else. And, uh, and whether it's been horror or science fiction, certainly a lot of mystery. They both, they've both been in, in mystery films quite a bit. Um, yeah. I mean, these guys are, these guys have actually had a fair amount of, of coverage and uh, uh, work within the genre field. Well, and you know, it's funny you mentioned Michael Caine's attitude. I can I can completely relate because, um, you know, and and Mindy and I have the, have these conversations still because most of my adult life, I have spent without a whole lot of money to spend, and I'm still in that mindset of we can't spend anything, we can't spend any money, don't spend it. Because you don't know if you're going to get any more, you know, and especially in my in my case, where I, when I'm freelancing, you know, I don't have a steady income. I have I have a career as a, a contract worker, I guess, is the best way you can say it, because, you know, the stuff that I do for the TV networks and the whatnot, those are all as you go. And you don't know that you're going to get the next one. So you do the best job you can, hopefully that they call you for the next one and right. you don't and you don't age out because right now I'm looking at at a, at the possibility that like the stuff that I do for the football I may not be able to do anymore because my knees are giving out. You right. know, I'm 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 looking at now having to, you know, I've got I've got a medical people telling me that I need to do physical therapy. I don't know. Okay, how many more of those can I do? You know, how many, how many more times can I crawl under a stage? You know, it's those kind of things. I, I totally can understand where Michael Caine comes from 
for that. And, and all of these guys are probably in that same kind of mindset. Yeah. Although a good, uh, there is of course the classic genre, Michael Caine quote, of course, that we always have to bring up when a time like this is he of course was in jaws, the revenge, um, of, of the many shark related horror films. Um, jaws, the revenge does not rate highly. And he was once asked about it and he said, and I quote, I have never seen it. And by all accounts, it is terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built and it is terrific. <laughs> now imagine that with Michael Caine's accent it's even better. Oh yeah. I caught a, I caught a clip, uh, the other day and I don't even remember what it was. Um, it was Michael Caine and Robert Duvall. Hmm in a bar fight with a bunch of punks in, in their teens. And I don't know, this looked like a period piece. And I just happened to, I, it just popped up on YouTube in the, you know, in all of the recommendations. I was like, well, what is this? And I looked and it was Robert Duvall. And apparently he's a, he's a, a, an, a, a war veteran. Mm. And Michael Caine's with him. I think Haley Joel Osment is there. I don't know what movie it's from, but Kane was using a very straight Midwestern American accent. It didn't mm. sound like Michael. I, was like, I had to look twice. Like, Wait a minute, that's that's Michael Kane. He doesn't sound like Michael Kane. It was rather interesting. So, but you well, know, interestingly enough, Michael Kane and of course uh, uh, Plummer worked together on a film that was. Uh, to some degree, it's a fantasy movie because it's about a country that doesn't actually exist. Mm. But it is more often considered to be a classic film adaptation of a, of a Rudyard Kipling story. But The Man Who Would Be King, of course, with Sean Connery, Michael Caine, Christopher Plummer played Kipling in that film. And if you've not seen The Man Who Would Be King, shame on you. You should see that. It's a <laughs> It's a... It's very interesting film about consequences, yeah, uh, and and ambition and uh, and hubris, but uh, uh, let's say uh, it's one of the great. Probably, I'm gonna say one of the uh, one of my favorite movies, if, outside the the science fiction fantasy horror genre. Yeah. Uh, in terms of just really well-made films, um, the uh, there's another fun story there where Michael Caine and Sean Connery were looking at the rope bridge that they had to be on, and Connery looks at Caine and goes, "Do you think the bridge looks safe?" And uh, <laughs> John Houston looks at him and goes. Sean, the bridge looks the way it always has. The only difference is today you're going to be standing in the middle of it. <laughs> that sounds like Houston. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there's just I mean, you look you look at the sun, the the what these guys have worked on, and I mean, for Christopher Plummer, you're looking at Dreamscape, of course. Uh, you know, uh, Dennis Quaid, Max von Sydow is in that movie. Um, 
that's a film that the, the concept is still really, really good. The effects don't necessarily hold up. Yeah. Um, but I always quite enjoyed that film. Uh, Eddie Albert was in that, Kate Capshaw. Um, and, uh, you know, for for its time, though, it was rather, it was pretty impressive effects. Is, Ed, is Edward Albert Eddie's son, right? Um, Are they the re- they're related? Okay. Because I keep, I keep, I keep connecting those two, and I'm, you know, sometimes I'm well, depending on. Okay, so depending on which one you're referring to, so that Eddie Albert was the Eddie Albert you're thinking of from Green Acres and the like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I mean. Plummer showed up in a lot of things. He was in 12 Monkeys. Um, he was in this little Star Trek movie. Um, oh, wait, the final the final movie of the original crew. Yes. Putting Shakespeare as a Klingon. Yes. You have not appreciated Shakespeare until you heard him in the original Klingon or something like that. Um, well, and part of the, the look of that character was actually entirely because he absolutely did not want to wear the wigs. Oh yeah, doing the bald the bald part. It, right. it was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> the funny part is, that, and that and that raises a that that brings up a story that I can tell. When I saw Star Trek Six, for whatever reason, and I don't know why this was, I did not connect General Chang, Christopher Plummer. Captain Von Trapp. I just, oh. for whatever reason, it never, and I guess maybe it's because the sound of music has never been a big thing for me. I mean, I've seen it. Sure. Eh, okay, whatever. Um, but it's never, I've never been a big fan of that movie. I'm not, I'm not big on musicals. I can't, my, my first, my first wife was big into musicals. And so I've seen a few, reluctantly, but uh, that one, okay. I never even knew that Nicholas Hammond was in it until much, much later. Nicholas Hammond, of course, played Peter Parker in a couple of TV movies, Spider-Man TV movies in the late 70s. And... uh, when I realized that General Chang was Captain Von Trapp, I had to do a double take and kind of flog myself for not recognizing him. I was like, well, how can you miss that? Well, if you're not a fan of musicals and, and as a theater kid and, and often being you know in front of a camera um, and once upon a time having a good singing voice, which I've long since... <laughs> let run out of i mean I, I don't sing enough so i mean i'm way out of practice i'd love to do it again but the uh plumber had a plumber had a complicated relationship with that movie he did not like it yeah he was not a fan of the film and he didn't it really kind of annoyed him after a while that people really loved <laughs> the movie and they kept wanting him to talk about it he's like i don't want to and Julie Andrews, of course, uh, his co-star in that, especially as he got older, 
she was just kept working at him. And so when it come to anniversary stuff, he'd like, like, okay, guys, uh, we need to have Julie call plumber so he'll show up. And you know, he's like, <laughs> all right, for Julie Andrews, I'll show up. <laughs> but he, he came to appreciate the fact that other people appreciated it. He, you know, he never really cared for it. Yeah. But and, uh, and folks, just a reminder, it's a, it's a, it's Hollywood history. Um, that's not what really happened in real life. Well, was not, n- no, not, with, certainly but, not that much singing, but it is based on the family. It is it history. Is, yes. There is actually a true story behind it, but there is, and it's worth looking into, uh, if nothing else for the fact that, um, the character, the version of, of the father that Plummer plays in that film is actually the polar opposite of the man. He was very friendly and warm <laughs> and it was Julie Andrews character who the children in the family say was really strict. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't have that in the musical. Well, not in, and especially not at that time. It no. wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily have, and, and it wouldn't be as much, much fun for folks who really enjoy that kind of movie. Now here's, here's my, here's my, my, my mental exercise to throw this one out because there are so many fan fictions that mash up everything and cosplay mashups and all sure, these sure. different things. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. The sound of Klingon music. Well, you know, the hills are alive with the sounds of battle. Batleth, yes. Um, <laughs> you know. I mean, you could do that. You know, Klingon... You, you Klingon know, opera. You, you know there's Klingon. Exactly. Klingon so there's opera. A, there's a huge history of, of Klingons telling great stories of battle through the sound of music so i completely it it would be in fact a different film in many ways because you know they wouldn't have fled over the alps they would have stayed and fought (laughs) that's right and uh um you know and being being outnumbered by the the german army i'm pretty sure they would have you know it might not have gone well for them but they would have gone down you know it would have been one of those great stories of impossible odds and that sort of thing exactly uh, it would have been glorious Today you know, is a good Christopher, day to die. Chris, Christopher Plummer could, you know, do the role. Mm-hmm. It's a dual role where he's telling the story as Chang and he plays. And then we flash back to the, you know, you, you do some CGI deep fake work on the sound of music. Yes. And, and he could also play Captain Vatrop. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somewhere out there. Somebody has, in fact, written this. I'm, I, I have great faith that someone has written this. How do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> <laughs> well, in Klingon culture, we solve it like this. <laughs> That's right. Release yeah. the Targs. <laughs> that that uh, I you know now I want to see that. See, see, yeah, it's, it's all well, see. It's all about the subject matter for the musical, Jason. You just well, have to open there yourself is, up. You've seen you've seen that there is a Klingon Christmas Carol, right, in Chicago. No, I had not actually seen that. They do that. I, I, we did a we did a story on it. Um, it is a, a a theater company in Chicago, I believe, that does a Christmas Carol in Klingon. Sure, okay. in I've, full makeup. I'm. As you should. <laughs> and I, I I saw the story and I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That is so much fun. I want to go see it. I think it would be fun to do 
uh, do a broadcast from there and do some interviews and. Oh yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Let me let me look this up real quick because I think this is something a very Klingon uh, Mindy, Christmas. Mindy dropped it into the, uh, uh, I guess into the chat there on YouTube. She's very quick. What is that? Oh, the Kling. Oh. <laughs> All right, hang on. I gotta pull this up in in the the chat. This is not this is not what I was talking about. So oh, okay. somebody has actually come up with a fan fan graphic here. Um, See, I told you it, was ha- I told you it happened. The Klingon Sound of Music. This is Liam Milano coming up with this art. It is a short film, and it's on YouTube. There we Two go. Klingons are on a mission time-traveling to Earth before the creation of the Starfleet Federation to infiltrate the human population disguised as humans in order to take over the planet for the Klingon race. Klingons have only been made to find one piece of... Uh, uh, Klingons have only been able to find one piece of historical Earth culture, the sound of music. So as they time travel, they prepare to meet a world that only exists from the movie, the sound of music. Watch as the Klingon race attempts to recreate the sound of music set to their very own values and goals in this dark, comedic musical. <laughs> so there we go. But um, but yeah, the the Klingon the Klingon Christmas Carol. Um, it is, uh, it's called a Klingon Christmas Carol. A very Klingon Christmas mm-hmm. is another one. There's, there's I think two, but the Klingon Christmas Carol is basically, it's the story, uh, in Klingon. Sure. And I have to look here and Does see. Does Scrooge take the same lesson in the Klingon Christmas Carol? Um, yeah, I do believe. Uh, Culturally, it, that seems a little questionable. Yeah. Uh, the play, the play is based on the Dickens thing, and it was originally created as a fundraiser for Comedia Beauregard Theater Company, written in 2007 by Christopher Kidder Mostrom and Sasha Warren. Originally translated by Laura Thurston, Bill Hedrick, and Christopher Kidder Mostrom, uh, Minnesota, and in Chicago. So it was 2007 to 2010 in Minnesota, then Chicago from mm, 2010 okay. to 2014. It's been presented in Cincinnati, Washington, Simi Valley, California. Not in Kansas City, though. But I think it would be interesting to uh, to to see. Oh yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I don't know if anybody's doing it in in production. Is if it's in production now or not? But that would. I be would fun. imagine probably not this last season, just because of well, theater yeah. Restrict, you know. yeah. But uh, hopefully they'll do it again. That'd be that'd be fun to see. Yeah. That well, and be... I think that it's, you know, there, there's something about getting able to play a villain, uh, and certainly a villain as just, it looks, and it's like, you know, you, you never can tell, but it looks like he was having a good time. I mean, because certainly, you know, Chang is, General Chang had a, was a, a fun role to watch. Oh, yeah. And just that sort of, um, boisterous glee for for battle uh that of course you know so many of the great character klingon characters share but um well and the, some shape- sort of that twisting around of of the earth ideas that that he seemed to revel in yeah well and there were some there were some shakespearean characters that were you know scenery chewing as well oh yeah of course i yeah. mean and and like i said plumber has been on stage 
you know, did tons of stage work. Well, and he's certainly done quite a bit of Shakespeare. And you have Shakespearean actor Plummer opposite Shakespearean actor Kirk uh, Shatner. And it was like, okay, who can che- who can chew the scenery more? Plummer doesn't pause as much. <laughs> True. Well, of course, then you had David Warner on that. I mean, it really was just, mm. you know, if you're going to, the final, the final film for the original cast, it was a good way to go out. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, for all that, for all that, uh, um, we got as many Star Trek films that we got, you know, and, and variety of quality, of course, it's just what's going to happen. It's what's going to happen. The, the, the modern, the modern thing where you get like with the Marvel movies where you have so many of them that are actually good um, is pretty rare for sequels, period. Yeah. And so the fact that we got, um, you know, six Star Trek films that were as good as they were overall and that it ended on uh, a, a very solid note with this incredible cast um, is, you know, and the Christopher Plummer was part of it. That's, yeah. that's He's a he's a Star Trek character that is embedded in the minds of all, you know, a lot of fans of the show, and if for nothing else, you know that's something that you know he'll be remembered by for genre fans. But again, it's not the only thing that he's done. I mean, he did um, he did a lot of voice work. If you if you've never seen them, and I can't, I've watched one of them. I can't claim that I have any interest in watching any of the rest of them but there's a series of three animated films uh based on a young howard lovecraft um and they're they're films uh like i said i saw the first one i wasn't overly thrilled and i not enough interest in watching the rest of them was that um, was that an american tale <laughs> was that what <laughs> an american tale no. <laughs> no. Howard Lovecraft and the Frozen no. Kingdom, Howard Lovecraft and the Kingdom of Madness, and Howard Lovecraft and the Undersea Kingdom. Mm. Um, and uh, But Christopher Plummer played Dr. West. Like the reanimator Dr. West? Um, I apparently. <laughs> okay. See, you know, as much as uh, we've talked about the fact that both Jason and I are Lovecraft fans, the, the influence of his writing, uh, however you feel about the man, the influence of his writing on um, on modern horror, is, you know, it just has been incredibly, thank you, Kat, incredibly uh, uh, powerful. Yeah. Not necessarily I would go for kids' movies. <laughs> just saying. I mean... I say, yeah, I'm a big fan of starting them, starting them young on the genre fandom, but, um, you know, I don't know. But, but can you imagine for a second an American tale filtered through Lovecraft? Yes. Yes, I can. Interestingly enough, um, as I'm looking at this online, Howard Lovecraft and the Undersea Kingdom, again, these are films aimed at children, Mm -hmm. 
Um, Jeffrey Coombs is a voice in that. And he also played Dr. West. He is, yeah. Christopher Plummer is Dr. West. Jeffrey Coombs is King Abdul. Um, Mark Hamill is Dr. Henry Armitage. Ron Perlman <laughs> as a Shago. And I am, now I feel a certain amount of desire to watch that. Now, if nothing else, have Ron Perlman <laughs> do a Shaga. Doug Bradley of Hellraiser uh, fame is Narla Wathatap. So, you know, and it's funny I because... To, I may have to come back to these series, films. Oh, well. And it, and it, and it raises, uh, raises a point because in the upcoming episode of Tardisauce, you guys uh, actually touch on Lovecraft a little bit and, and, and the skill and facility by which you pronounce these names. It's almost like you're familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny on advice of Eldritch Council. So, um, Mazurus makes a good point. Jeffrey Coombs is pretty much everywhere because he's in he's in Star Trek as well. And mm -hmm. one of the things that maybe we should talk about at some point because when when Stargate was on, mm -hmm. and Marina Sirtis shows up in Stargate, right? I'm thinking to myself, man, there's a lot of cross pollination in these shows because back then you only had these actors were in all the shows. Right. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe we ought to take a, take a look at that at some point, because between then and now, I mean, you've got Robert Redford showing up in a Marvel movie of all things, Glenn Close. Back then, they wouldn't have touched it with a 30-foot pole. Well, and you also look at there was the dis distinction between working in television and working in film. And really, the, the, the your premium cable networks completely changed that. You had prestige, prestige series on HBO and Showtime and Cinemax. You know these these series that would run on these on these channels that were, you know, feature film level production values. Mm -hmm. And the distinction, and certainly with the explosion of cable. Um, that really sort of shifted the balance. And the fact that you could get somebody, you know, you do a show like Westworld, you bring in Anthony Hopkins, yeah. and, you know, it really kind of opens a door for some of this stuff. And the networks, to some degree, have followed suit, where you would, you know, they don't have the, they're not dumping the same amounts of money in, obviously, but even they have, have made it more attractive for some of these bigger name stars. But yeah, if you're, you're quite right, especially in the in the 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, you could in the 70s and I guess I want to say middle to the middle 80s, you could still get big name stars for like the the big budget miniseries like North and South or right. yeah, everybody was yeah. in North and South. Sure. Including Hal Holbrook. Yes, indeed. And Hal Holbrook, again, someone that if you if you're thinking about his work, you're not necessarily thinking about genre work. See, I didn't um, realize course, that he had done that much. I mean, he, you've got the um, 
designing women and the and the, the the comedy stuff and then the Mark Twain things and he's done well, yeah, he's a, done a lot of people political and legal things. But I had no I I had not realized that he'd done uh that he had done any any genre work. But he's he's been on the horror side, so I haven't I haven't you know, that's something I don't pay attention to very much. Yeah, he uh he definitely has done stuff for horror um you know if he was in creep show um, you know, the fog for your, for your carpenter fans, Is that uh, the original, and, uh, the original fog. Yes. Not the, not the remake. Um, and, and if you've, if you've not seen the original film, um, it's not always effective, but it's always atmospheric, which of course is appropriate with a name like the fog, but I mean, yeah. it's, they, they use, they use the visuals that you get from, you know, fog filled scenes. Um, extremely well, and of course, you know it's another fantastic cast. It's uh, Adrian Barbeau, Tom Atkins, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, uh, mm-hmm. Janet Leigh. Um, you know, but yeah, um, Hal Holbrook played a priest in the film, and uh, it does not necessarily go well for him, yeah. as so many of the people in the. Uh, <laughs> doesn't go well for a lot of people in the fog <laughs> uh it's big shocker there being yeah. a horror film and all um but yeah so uh hal holbrook in creep show and this is the original creep show this is the one the iconic one that everyone when you're thinking of the creep show uh films yeah. this is the one and um yeah hal holbrook was in the uh, start in the crate, which is also with Adrian Barbo. Yep, and um, Mazur says they were just watching that one tonight. Mm-hmm. And and Adrian Barbo plays his very forward wife. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. So it is. Um, it's it's a really effective segment. It's a really effective segment. But he also had done, um, he was in The Unholy. Capricorn One. With Ben Cross. Uh, yeah. So you get into some of the science fiction stuff and Capricorn One. A film that I remember really enjoying the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it necessarily holds up. Uh, it doesn't age terribly well. Mm. But it was a great cast. Yeah. Um, Elliot Gould, James Brolin, Candace Bergen, O.J. Simpson. So, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, Telly Savalas was in that too, didn't he? Oh, was he? He maybe was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Candace Bergen wasn't in that. Um, she was going to be in it. Um, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Uh, Karen Black. That's that's who was it. Okay. In it instead. Brenda Vaccaro. Yeah, I see Telly Savalas' name on there. Oh, yeah, there he is. And for those of you who have not seen it, um, long you may have heard the idea that a very famous film director helped fake the moon landing. <laughs> um, this, to some degree, uh, is in that vein. It's, it's a Mars landing. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, it's... The general story of it is that they fake the Mars mission. And instead of landing on Mars, they're in a studio, warehouse, soundstage. Mm-hmm. And 
something goes horribly, horribly wrong. Well, and there is a, a, a cover-up is attempted. Yeah. And our astronauts must go upon the, the run. Um, it is, it is a, uh, it's clearly a product of its time. Yeah. You, you know what would be a good double bill? Capricorn 1 and Hangar 18. See, I was just thinking of Hangar 18 because <laughs> there was a period of time where I would try and be talking about one of those films uh-huh. and I would slip up and flip the titles. Oh, sure. Sure. And they are very not the same movie. <laughs> oh, they're not. But they're in the same, they're mm-hmm. in that same mold. Right, sort of the uh, sort the of. the government is attempting to cover up something, and their solution is to bump off the folks who must go on the run. This is not a particularly original story. Obviously, right. this is you know, um, there've been this this has been used in many a thriller. Um, these just happen to have science fiction bits. Uh, uh, Hangar eighteen is about a crashed a crashed alien spaceship, uh, and it was not a bad not a bad spaceship design. Um, no, it's not a bad spaceship design. It's an ending that l- is not going to satisfy some people. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I don't know. It's, it has its moments. Um, Mazarus, the answer to the question is, I liked the concept of Apollo 18. I wish it was a better movie. And I just put in the chat a link to our interview with James Hampton, who was in Hangar 18. We caught up with him at Sci-Fi Expo. This was in 2012. Mm. And talked to him about uh, about Hangar 18 and all of the other things that he's done. So uh, you can check that out as well. So, Anywho. All right. So... Um, the Unholy, by the way, Hal Holbrook was in that. That was uh, Ben Cross was the lead. Trevor Howard. It was Trevor Howard's last movie. And if you are unfamiliar with Trevor Howard, um, he was just uh, an extremely well-known English actor uh, who had done a again a ton, ton of work. He start. He was in Gandhi. He was in. Um, the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. You know, he'd been in the 1962 version, um, Around the World in 80 Days. I mean, just one of those actors who you see who, again, worked on an incredible mm-hmm. uh, history. And then, and I, I've seen... So I saw that film, The Unholy. I don't know that I can necessarily recommend it. It's not a particularly good... Mm, it's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's, it doesn't move. It doesn't move fast enough. It doesn't, I mean, it's, and I'm a, I'm someone who, who I'm quite content to have a story unfold slowly. If it really engages you, if it, you know, right. You know, I don't, I don't need it to be cut like that, that, that there's places for that, but you know, not everything, but this film kind of just drags. So, um, but, uh, I believe, uh, some people have said things along the lines of one reviewer called it tedious. That's never a good sign. Mm. Um, and, uh, but if you happen to be a fan of, um, I don't know, 
possession kind of stories, demonic forces, that sort of thing, uh, with a with a you know a Catholic te- you know framework, or just a priest doing exorcism, that sort of stuff. Then uh, yeah, check it out. It's got a, again great cast, but and Holbrook did the Outer Limits too. He did the he oh, did the later right. series of the Outer Limits, yeah, the ninety five the, the reboot. Series. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he played in that though. And I did not see as much of the later series of the Outer Limits as I did when I watched you know, watched the original series quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and if you're if you've not seen it, Kevin Kevin Conway you may recognize that name. Kevin was Conway? the voice of Control. You mean Conroy? Kevin Conway. Conway. Who is, who is um, Kevin Conway? Who has, again, just somebody else who was in uh, a bunch of things. No, his name is his name is very similar to another. Yeah. Uh, See, yeah, I, don't, the, I don't know. I don't know that name. Kevin Conway was um, Collis in The Next Generation. He was the founder of the Klingon Empire. Among other things. He was in Slaughterhouse Five, uh, The Elephant Man, the TV movie, not the feature film. Um, Mercury Rising, The Quick and the Dead. Okay, uh, okay. The Lawnmower Man, two. <laughs> I don't know that that we uh, you don't necessarily want to put that one on your uh, your bio. Uh, Jennifer know. Eight. The, There's a thriller I, I remember a long quick and, time the ago. The Quick and the Dead is not a bad movie. I like The Quick and the Dead. Uh, it is a. It is exactly what you would expect from a Sam Raimi western. <laughs> and that is, you're either gonna love it or you're hating it. And here's 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 the truth. I did not like it the first time I watched it. No. And then it's one of those films that that grew on me once you, once you start to realize it's just one big comic book and that Sharon Stone is playing Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. And once you, once you get your brain around that, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> well, and, and, and I, it's, it just didn't, it didn't click with me the first time I saw it. Um, if, I don't if always you, get it right. If you recast the quick and the dead with Clint Eastwood and Dean Martin, Mm. As the as the as the the minister, sure. And sure, why not Ricky Nelson in the in the Leo DiCaprio role? Okay, sure. And then Lee Van Cleef in Hackman's role. Mm-hmm. There you have a movie. Well, and the thing is, is that you that is the movie. Yeah. It's just. <laughs> The cast is not what you expect to be in those right. roles, which really makes it a lot of fun because it is, um, it is extremely effective. Mm. It's just not what you expect it to be. Yeah, and there's just a little that little bit of Sam Raimi push where it goes a little bit further yeah. than you would expect it to go. So um, double double bill for Quick and the Dead and Silverado. Oh yeah, that'd or be a great double bill. If you want to do Gene Hackman villain 
Double Bill, you do Quick and the Dead, and then Unforgiven. But tone wise, those two really kind That's of smash whiplash. together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, because one is one would be definitely leaning into the pleasures and sort of the the silliness, <laughs> but in some of the the I don't know, silliness isn't the right word. The over the top n- n- aspect of the spaghetti western, right? And the other, of course, being um, okay. Now let's look how ugly it really is, right? Yeah. So quick <laughs> so, in the dead, quick in the dead, and Silverado. Yeah, that see that's that's a great thing. I, I, I'm I'm on board with that. that. I think that's a, that's a great double bill. And of course, if you haven't seen Silverado, again, folks, come on, oh, it's a great. Movie. It is it is one of the best modern westerns, and quite frankly, it. And I spent years. I spent years looking for the soundtrack Mm. because it got released and it disappeared. And I, it took a long time to find it. Well, it's like trying to find a copy of the the Queen Highlander soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Because you know you can you can find the a kind of magic album. Mm-hmm. But the Queen soundtrack to Highlander. Well, now you got me thinking. I need to the probably. Flash Gordon soundtrack. So we, have, you know, take what you can get. But. Yes, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to circle back and talk about talk about Buck Rogers at some point. Oh yeah, soon because <laughs> that's just that's a mess. Um, and, and not to get off too far on a tangent, but Flint Dilly has been posting on his Facebook account various different links to various different things that have gone on over the legal battles between the Nolan Family Trust and the Dilly Family Trust, and all of this, all of these battles over Buck Rogers. We're gonna have to do it. We're gonna have to do a show about it. Well, when you consider how rich a property things like buck rogers and flash gordon can be yeah and the fact that we don't have big feature film versions of them there's a reason yeah there is and and we talked i i talked to flint on uh last wednesday well we recorded it tuesday we broadcast it on wednesday it was a conversation about the new project that you know george clooney has just come on board with right. don murphy and there were things that he hinted at, and then the news dropped that the Nellon Family Trust, you know, the Buck Rogers estate, was uh, sending a cease and desist to Legendary. And so now you have that battle brewing. But apparently, the persons involved, there apparently is a story and a history and a track record with some of these folks. And... Flint's just basically kind of started dropping various different documents and, and articles. And, and now he's basically crowdfunding, uh, investigatory here, y'all go through this and see what you find. And people are coming up with all these nuggets of, well, look at this and look at this. And look at this. So they're basically, he's basically building a case online if, on Facebook for, for ancillary stuff to, to build his case. It's, it's, it's a crazy time. It really is. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm. We're off, we're off track. But... See what, 
what we uh, what we had come up with for that. That'll yeah. be interesting. I'll send you some links. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's it's going to be. Uh, Mazer says I'm getting tired. The Queen song was one vision, and it was the Iron Eagle soundtrack. Right. Yeah. Oh one oh one oh okay okay I I one mission no one mission one was right, on one Iron vision Eagle. is the song was the song okay. you were thinking about all right Queen Highlander here we go ooh 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 here we go I found it I found it on I found it on eBay you ready you ready for this mm-hmm this is the mega rare red flame vinyl soundtrack one hundred dollars on eBay. yep there you go I got a birthday coming up (laughs) I don't have a turntable anymore I do we've got two now there you go oddly enough it just kind of worked out that way Um, so yeah now, if you are if you are a fan, now we we talk about when we say genre on this show and our other shows, we too are tend to referring to the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genres. And of course, those are not the only genres out there. If you are also a fan of mysteries, murder by decree, was Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes, which that, is is genre adjacent because Sherlock Holmes is a ancestor of a certain science officer well that's true and not to mention he's up against jack the ripper in this one and jack the ripper is many many things in science fiction and horror uh and uh um, it's a very solid sherlock holmes movie Mm -hmm. um james mason the legendary james mason playing watson um uh, Donald George. Sutherland is in that movie. John Gielgud. Yeah. Um, pretty impressive cast. James um, Mason and, played Mr. Jordan in Heaven Can Wait, mm. uh, which was the remake of Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Right, right. Uh, Warren Beatty in that one. That was that. That's that's an odd duck, but it's not. It's not bad. Now, on the flip side of that, um, we've mentioned some really, really great films with Christopher Plummer, but he was also in Star Crash. Uh, And if you're unfamiliar with Star Crash, that also starred David Hasselhoff. Yes. Um, Well, and 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 Max von Sydow had Flash Gordon. So, you know, they are are of a kind. It had a John Barry score. Well, sure. All, all... All terrible movies have the best of intentions. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. This was considered very much a cash-in, but um, Christopher Plummer, and I quote from Wikipedia, so you know it's it's a it's a source. <laughs> uh, the Emperor, the known universe's benevolent and wise ruler, whose only son has disappeared after an encounter with the space forces of evil Count Zarth Arn. <laughs> Super JLK in the chat. Welcome. Yes, only $100 for that mega rare Highlander soundtrack. But he says, hear me out. Sherlock Holmes in space. I'd watch it. I'm surprised we haven't got 
you could do these it. These things go. These things go in waves, right? So we yeah. actually did have we had we had two Sherlock Holmes series, a U.S. one and a, and a British one, uh, both of which had their fans and were both pretty popular for right. you know procedural shows. Um, well, it'll it'll happen. We'll get we'll get our Sherlock Holmes in space one of these days. It can happen. And I think you could argue that there have been a number of uh, thrillers, science fiction thrillers, that have probably riffed on that a little bit, no. not leaning completely into it entirely, obviously. Um, but uh, and another one, another one that uh, uh, Plummer did that you may have missed just because it wasn't a particularly good film, uh, Dracula Two Thousand. Oh, wasn't Jerry Ryan in that? So yeah, get a load of this cast: Johnny Lee Miller, uh, Gerard Butler, Jennifer Esposito, uh, Jerry Ryan, Omar Epps, Sean Patrick Thomas, and Christopher Plummer. <laughs> and it was not a good movie, but Plummer played Van Helsing, or a version of Van Helsing. Yeah, um, and. Uh, Gerard Butler was Dracula. That was the one where Dracula, the, or, see, the, the true origin of Dracula was not that he was a Romanian nobleman, it's that he was Judas Iscariot. You know, I remember hearing about that. The, the idea that, because you have, um, there's a movie, uh, The Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of other stories that have, uh, I think there was a librarian's movie as well, uh, because you have the Spear of Destiny, right? Sure, right. And the Spear of Destiny is, is supposedly is the, the spear that was used to stab Christ in the side. And there have been those stories of, Judas being fated to walk the earth forever until the second coming. And honestly, I don't know where that story comes from because the Bible doesn't play it out that way. So it, it's conflating it's conflating the the wandering Jew story with Jew, with uh Judas. Yeah. And in fact what they did what they tried to do with this particular vampire film was give you a reason why the cross and silver actually caused damage to vampires. It's because mm. when Judas tries to hang himself, the rope breaks, and God curses him to, to, to walk the world forever as a vampire. Right. Now, if you think about that for just a minute, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, um, and quite frankly, the fact that the vampire myth is blood-sucking creatures in the night that come and consume your life force or suck your blood predate Christianity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's it's a very specific kind of vampire they're working with here right. in this story. Um, but it's a it's a movie. It's I saw it and I now it kicked <laughs> off. I think there are three films in the series that started off oh i don't think it was planned to be a series they recast dracula in every film because you only need to do it once really sure. um and 
Um, I want to say that the last one involved Jason Scott Lee. And so there was martial arts fighting vampires and, and Rutger Hauer may have been in one of these. Um, yeah, that's... So if you must watch... Dra- Dracula, <laughs> one of them. Dracula 2 is called Ascension. And Jason Scott Lee is in that one as well. Um, I'm assuming... But here's one. You don't... You know who is also in this cast? As a voice? Our friend Tom Kane. Well, of course. There I did not know that. There, there he is. Um... Is this, wait a minute, is this a sequel? I mean, it's, oh, this is if it's West, by, this if it's is by West Patrick, Patrick Lussier? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. the, yeah. He, All right. he made, he, there were two sequels to, to Dracula 2000. Um, okay. Yeah. And then Dracula 3 Legacy. Mm-hmm. Also with Jason Scott Lee. And another, another Dracula. That's the one that Rutger Hauer was in. There's two Draculas in in this movie. I'm sure there are. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least according to the to the cast. Uh, <laughs> well, I you know it's it's one of those things where you look back on on somebody's career and you take the bad with the good, but you know they're remembered for. Uh, the really good stuff that stands out. Oh, I mean, yeah, for Plumber, no it's you know Star Trek Six and and Sound of Music and a couple of other things. And Holbrook, you know, has so much. You know, besides the Mark Twain stuff, but that's what he's going to be remembered for. Is, is oh yeah, Twain. no kidding. I oh, was yeah, really surprised because they had the you know they had the uh, the that two part episode on on Next Generation Times Arrow where they went mm-hmm. back in time. And they met Mark Twain. And I remember thinking at the time, why didn't they get Hal Holbrook for this? Because it's Hal, it's whoever is playing Samuel Clemens is doing Hal Holbrook doing Mark Twain, essentially. Well, and I think that for, for if you've ever seen um, Hal Holbrook do Twain, you realize how much the modern perception of what we think Twain sounds like and, mm. and acts like is based on his performance. It's, it became, whether you've seen it or not, it's become very iconic for a large chunk of American audiences to think that's what Twain was like. And, I mean, that says something. Where you make a, you, you play a role so iconically, it sticks. Yeah. Well, it's um, kind of like anybody that plays Abraham Lincoln. Because, you know, Lincoln has got a distinct look. Sure. And I want to say that I read somewhere that Lincoln did not have a very distinct voice that carried. Well, no, he had a, he had a for what we think about, um, and they tried to do it with, um, oh, for heaven's sakes, what's his name? Just do a complete blank on the Lincoln movie. Um, uh, famous actor who leans into his roles incredibly. Last of the Mohicans. That guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Daniel oh Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, he uh, he had a relatively high-pitched voice 
for what for how people think of. And Daniel Day Lewis tried to have, you know, make a an approximation of that. So um, now, of course, we don't have any recordings of Lincoln, but um, you know, the idea that we we get these ideas in our head of what people sound like when we don't have no idea. Yeah. You know, and and uh, some of the great iconic figures from history, you just think about and go, yeah, but what if they sounded like Elmer Fudd? I mean, you just you know, and because it's entirely possible, you just don't know. We we right. we know that they didn't sound like you know John Wayne doing Genghis Khan. Um, Otherwise, because I'm, I'm telling you, Genghis Khan would not have been anywhere near as successful if he sounded like John Wayne doing Genghis Khan. <laughs> One does not conquer an empire sounding like that. <laughs> Sorry, you just don't. Oh, well, all right. So, um, all right. So that's that's seems like a good place to wrap up for tonight. Um, I have an idea. For next week's topic, let me throw this okay. out and let's 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 get feedback from the chat as well, uh, and just to do this because last week we got the news that we're going to get a movie based on the game Uno. It's going to be a hip hop heist movie, comedy. Wait, to which I say, <laughs> considering that Uno is. I don't know what you can do with a plot I, out of Uno. I don't know. I'm, I am completely on board with it know. being a hip hop heist comedy because in, in the in the underground in the hip hop underground world of Atlanta, uh, and and the star possibly is going to be this rapper by the name of Lil Yachty, and it's spelled like yacht, you know, big boat on the on the ocean yacht with a sure, Y sure. on the end. I was like, I've never I'm heard of this guy. I'm not familiar with that. I'm not familiar with them. Don't know this guy. So here's here's what I'm thinking because we've mentioned Battleship before, and we talked about mm-hmm. Clue, mm-hmm. and now we've got Uno, and uh, where there's there's a, a movie being made based on Risk. I know. So we could. How about let's let's talk about board game movies next week. What do you think? Okay, but we have to, you know, we can we have to be able to pull chess in. Oh, sure. Because that was a successful musical. Yes. Um, and uh, not to mention it has, uh, you know, a great, you know, One Night in Bangkok, which well, is one and, of the great. Uh, and I also, just to tease, just to tease ahead, I also have a, a tic-tac-toe story that I can tell. From my own acting career, mm-hmm. so I won't tell that story tonight. But we, there, there's a, there's a story. So why don't we do that? We'll do we'll do board game uh, board game movies next week, and then the week after that we can talk about the battle for Buck Rogers. All right, sounds like a plan. Okay, we've got a plan. <laughs> we're not okay. saying it's a good plan folks but we got a plan it's a plan all right uh thanks everybody in the chat super jok uh, Mazerus. uh it's good to see you guys and thanks, guys. Uh, we do appreciate everybody who's here if you're not watching live you can still leave us a comment uh you can send an email h2o at sci-fi for me.com if you've got a topic that you would like to suggest or if you have a comment on any of the topics that we discuss 
Uh, or if you want to uh, start a drinking game uh, for every time we digress off of our main topic, uh, that, that please might be insured. That please, might be, yeah, please might be a be little insured. hard on your if liver. If you're going to play this game, <laughs> I recommend having a reasonable silver plan. Generally speaking, you should be yeah, all right. Something like that. Um, at least I don't, don't go for your baseline. Go up at least one of those. Yes. So that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for being here. If you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, sign up for our newsletter. We just sent one out today. And uh, I will also mention that coming up on Thursday, we have a very special episode of Live from the Bunker at 1 p.m. Eastern. SB the Every Fairy will be here to dish out advice and answer questions ahead of the Valentine's Day weekend. So that will be an experience. I'm sure it'll be fun. We have no idea what's going to happen, but it'll be fun. And it'll be live. And and we're going to do an open mic, basically, uh, where people can call in and they can ask questions. And, and SB the Every Fairy will... We'll offer up our very first fairy pee session. <laughs> that will be a lot of fun. You That's guys definitely definitely check it out. All I got. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for being here. Good night. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 